What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined on the phone by Ben Babler. What's going on, Kyle? Not too much. Glad to have you. Uh, First of all, to all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BASHIP. That's BASHIP to save 20% off. Ben, we're here to talk about the Rangers system today. And the Rangers, as we all know, were a perennial power in the American League for a couple of years. Had a fall-off last year, finished fourth in the American League West, there's definitely uh, some shortages on the pitching side, but but overall, when you assess the Rangers, just their overall organization right now, how do you see them, and, and where are they? Uh, they are in a difficult spot. I thought I, I think that they're they still have the young nucleus in their lineup to build around, which is why I was so I mean and wrongfully <laughs> optimistic about their chances in 2000. 17, I thought they had a chance to uh, do a lot of damage last year. If guys like Nomar Mazzara and, and Joey Gallo and uh, Rugnet Odor and, and those guys really took a step forward, but uh, that didn't really happen. Uh, I still think that there's a lot more. Well, I think mean, Gallo did, and, and I think that Joey Gallo could have a huge year. Uh, I think Nomar Mazzara still could take a big step forward, and I think Rugnet Odor is a way better player than what he showed last year, but uh, I mean, and and you're going to add Willie Calhoun to that lineup in 2018. Adrian Beltre doesn't seem to be aging <laughs> at all, so <laughs> not at all. Uh, he's not really uh, uh, a normal human being <laughs> at all. Uh, that's uh, he's a Hall of Fame player and, and still playing at, at that kind of a level. Um, so you know them, Elvis Andrus. You've got a really good makings of a a good lineup but that pitching is a concern and there's not a lot of help on the way this year i think Yohander mendez could come up and give them a, a boost at some point but you're not looking at somebody's going to come in and be a part of the rotation starter or 
you know, maybe not even a, a mid-rotation starter. There's, there's just not a lot of pitching that's going to help them this year, and, and the rotation right now, as it is, is a question mark. So uh, the, the best young pitching they have in, in, in the system is still at the lower levels. So uh, they're, they're kind of in a, a weird spot right now. I mean, they, they went for it, and uh, it didn't quite pay off. Um, you know, Nick Williams, if, if they still had guys like Nick Williams, and, uh, you know, Jorge Alfaro's stock has dropped, obviously, but you know, those, and then Nick Williams is no longer a prospect technically, but um, Lewis Brinson, another guy, they traded away. So they they had a lot of talent in the farm system. They they went for it, and I still think there's that young nucleus of a lineup there, but they're in a they're in a difficult spot right now where it's going to be it's going to be tough for me to see them contending this year, and at the same time, uh, the the farm system is is going to need some help too. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You mentioned the tough spot they're in. You kind of look at it and say, hey, they made the postseason five times in seven years, had those back-to-back World Series appearances, four division titles. If you're going to have a few down years, you know, I think that's kind of a, a worthy trade-off. Obviously, losing the World Series, and especially 2011 against the Cardinals, hurt for a lot of reasons. Um, but I mean, it's, it's something where you're right. It's, it's a tough place to be in for them because in part, the moves they made to get all these division titles, I mean, this was the best stretch in franchise history. They had to trade some young prospects who today would probably put them in better position. But, you know, that's the trade-off you make, the, the, sometimes the future for the present. And I, I think while obviously you want, want to see more than just a division championship banner flying, I do feel like for the most part, you know, the Rangers, it, it was a great run, and, and this might be a little bit of a, a lower-end run now as, as we get into these next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think any, if you said, look, we're going to, over the next, if you told any team in baseball right now that, I mean, even if you said, like, to the, the Dodgers or, or the Cubs, hey, in the next seven years, we're going to get to the playoffs five times, absolutely, <laughs> you, would, you would take that. That's a, a very successful run. Uh, so I, I think the Rangers, even though it didn't ultimately lead to a championship, what they did uh, was was very successful. But at the same time, you look forward and it's not quite clear what the what the direction is going to be going forward. Yeah. So with that, we did see one kind of sell off move last year, trading you Darvish to the Dodgers. They brought back Willie Calhoun, Brendan Davis, AJ Alexi. Um, you did the Rangers prospect chapter, as you have many years in a row now, and Willie Calhoun was your number one prospect. Uh, he and Leody Tavares were kind of kind of the discussion. Ultimately, what led you to rank Willie Calhoun ahead of Leody Tavares? So for me, it, it's not so much anything that Leody Tavares did that caused his stock to fall. I would say, you know, whatever your impressions were of, of Leody Tavares, uh, before should probably be the the same. I mean, he has a. Uh, I, th- I think he, has, he he certainly has the higher overall upside, uh, a chance to be a, a legitimate five tool player. But there's there's also a lot more risk than him than there is with Willie Calhoun. I, I think probably the perception uh, or the over the general perception of Willie Calhoun is is what should change because. This guy, I think, is, is one of the best hitters in the minor leagues, both both in terms of just pure bat-to-ball skills and power, too. 
Uh, I think he gets overlooked because probably in some because of, of his height. Uh, he's five foot eight, and and I understand that when you're evaluating a you know let's say a 20 year old amateur player or maybe even evaluating Willie Calhoun coming out of high school. But uh, you know, have you, Kyle, have you seen Calhoun in, in person at all? Or? Yeah, I actually saw him in Rancho Cucamonga in 2015, and then saw him yeah. in the Futures game. I've seen him a few times. So, so this guy is, is not somebody who hits the ball like a like a little man, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, there's there's really no question about his power at all. I mean, it's you know, I think conservatively you're grading out his power. It, it's plus. Um, he's he's hit you know 27 home runs 2016. He was over 30 home runs uh, 2017. 2018, he's going to get to use the uh, the major league baseball. So in, in Arlington, um, by the way, That'll yeah. <laughs> so, it, but it's it's not just the the raw power he has, which is you know super impressive. But I think he also just has one of the best swings in the minor leagues. It's short, compact, but it is powerful. It's a very it aggressive explosive. swing. It's it's interesting. Yeah. It's very <laughs> aggressive and powerful. It's aggressive and but also great bat ball skills because the, the barrel when he swings stays through the hitting zone so long. It's it's very adjustable swing. He has very good plate coverage too. So when you have a guy who makes contact at that high of a rate and hits the ball as hard as he does, that's usually a very good recipe for having success at the major league level. Now he doesn't have He's he's slow, so he's not gonna. That's not gonna help him in terms of uh, you know legging out some of the, the infield hits or anything like that. But uh, he makes very frequent contact. He hits all types of pitches and he hits them really hard. So uh, you know the difference. You know if, if he had only done this, say in, in a ball, uh, I would probably have put will or excuse me, I would have put Leone Tavares ahead of him. But we're talking about a guy who is has done this in double A, has done this in triple A, and is ready to step in day one, well, probably day one, <laughs> for the Rangers. I don't know what they're going to do exactly in terms of service time, machinations, or, or whatnot, but this is a guy who's, who's ready right now to help them in 2018, whereas Leone Tavares, and again, Leone Tavares really didn't do anything to decrease his stock this year. I think he probably increased it some just based on what he showed in, in the South Atlantic League. But we're still talking about who I who did not – not that I expected him to dominate the South Atlantic League as an 18-year-old. I mean, you know, the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors and Juan Soto, like those guys are really, really different kind of hitters than uh, your typical 18-year-old. You can't really use them as a typical yardstick to measure performance for somebody that age. But, um, but there's just more risk in, in Tavares. There's a lot of different things that could go wrong for him along the way over the next few years as he gets there, whereas Willie Calhoun, I have a lot of conviction in his bat, and he's going to do it right away in 2018. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Leody Tavares not doing anything to downgrade his stock. Um, you see the slash line, 249 batting average, 312 on base, 360 slug. While obviously he's very, very young for the level, those are still not numbers that, at least on the surface, inspire a lot of confidence. What was it in your discussions with evaluators that led you to say, hey, you know, nothing's changed. We still think of this guy as highly as we do, independent of what the numbers showed. 
Yeah, it's a it's a good question because, I, and I think a, like a good contrast too would be Mickey Moniak, who number one overall pick in the two thousand what was it two thousand all the years now are running together for me two thousand sixteen draft. Yeah, um, and and Moniak too was a year older. Uh, he he was nineteen years old um, this this past season, and so we're talking about two guys who came into the year as, as very high profile center field prospects. And the feedback on Moniac was not very. They they both struggled, uh, or you know, Tavares didn't really. I wouldn't say he struggled, but uh, Moniac really struggled, and the feedback on him was really not great. There was a lot of concerns on him. Whereas with Leone Tavares, it the guys who were seeing him, the scouts who were seeing, him were saying, "Oh no, this guy is one of the best prospects in the league. Uh, great defense." In center field, strong arm, good speed, uh, getting good jumps and routes out there in the outfield and at the plate. Uh, it's a good swing from both sides, uh, good bat speed, a lot of strength projection still to come in his frame. He's got power numbers jump up this year. Uh, and, and you know, I think you need to see at some point, just as he gains strength and, and a better, more maturity as a hitter, understanding which pitches to to swing at, which one to let go, just how to have a, a better plan at the plate. You're going to see those power numbers continue to jump up. It's not like he was up there swinging and missing a lot. I mean, if, if we if we're talking about somebody who had a you know a 30% strikeout rate or something, yeah, that'd be more of a red flag. But Leonie Tavares' strikeout rate was was very manageable. I mean, again, he's he's 18 years old. He's, he's the same age as you know, say Royce Lewis again, the number one pick in. Uh, the 2017 draft. So, you know, most guys that age are in the Gulf Coast League. If you put Leone Tavares in uh, a more age-appropriate level, like if you had sent him, say, back down to the the Arizona League, I think he would have dominated that league, for, for example. So all of the – pretty much all the feedback that we got from scouts who saw Leone Tavares in person were still very, very optimistic and very enthusiastic about uh, Leone Tavares's future but that said look there still is risk we've seen exciting players who look like potential five tool guys in low a and, and as they go up more flaws get exposed or they don't they don't close off those those holes in their game that they do have uh, or for whatever reason they just don't take that next step forward so uh, i mean willie calhoun has his own risks uh namely on the side of the game that doesn't involve uh, the batter's box, so uh, he has his own risk. But I think Tavares, he, you can say he definitely has a more upside and a higher ceiling than Willie Calhoun, but uh, there still is more, I, I think, more overall risk with Leoy Tavares. But so, I mean, look, if you want to, and when we had these discussions internally in the office, we were, you know, kind of conflicted on, on which guy to, to put higher up uh, overall on, on this list. So I think it's defensible to go either way. But for me, that was the, the rationale in putting. Calhoun over Tavares, even though the feedback that, that I got from scouts on, on Leone was, was still very, very positive. So those are your top two, and I felt like it's fair to say that's your, your top tier. There's definitely a, a second tier drop-off when you move into the next group. You know, Hans Kraus was your number three, Cole Reagans was your number four, Johander Mendez was your five, the, the group of three pitchers there. How much of a, of a differentiation was it between those guys? Was Kraus clearly the three, Mendez clearly the five? How did that all come out just in talking to evaluators inside and outside the system? 
Yeah, no question. The the top two guys, like you said, that was a clear top tier. After that, it got, you know, I think it can go different ways, but for me, the most consistent uh, positive feedback I got was on Hans Krauss. Uh, you know, Johan Mendez is definitely, I would say, the, the safest bet. And he did some things this year that uh, they really didn't like uh, for, you know, for a long time on Johan Mendez. One of the big risks on him was, is this guy going to stay healthy? I mean, he signed, he was probably like, I don't know, 6'4", like a buck 60, like like a frail type of body type. And he had a lot of trouble staying healthy throughout his career. And, you know, I had a lot of concerns about whether this guy was going to hold up as a starter. And last year he goes out, he throws 150 innings. So I think that's an important step for him to take to show uh, that he, he potentially has the durability to hold up as a starter. Uh, you know, they put some handcuffs on his pitch usage last year, and when they took those off, the the numbers were better. Uh, so I think the, the overall numbers that he had on the year are a little bit skewed because of that. But I think he's probably more likely a back-end-of-the-rotation starter uh, so then you have Cole Reagans, who was their first-round pick in 2016. Uh, I don't see him as a, a front-line starter either. Uh, I think maybe a, a mid-rotation guy, if, if everything goes right. Uh, another lefty who's not an overpowering fastball, probably a solid average fastball with a good changeup, but uh, good delivery. Just doesn't He didn't throw a lot of strikes this year, and that was only in the Northwest League, so... Uh, a lot of risk with him, and then you go to Kraus, and just the stuff that he has is way different, I think, than anybody else in in the organization. Certainly among their uh, their starting pitching prospects, uh, a guy who is sitting in the mid 90s, touching the upper 90s. The slider he has is a is a true out pitch for him. Uh, he's got to he's got to bring along a changeup, but uh, you know that's that's okay for for a high school pitcher when you throw when you can throw 99 miles an hour, especially with that kind of slider. You don't really need to throw a changeup against high school hitters. So there were a lot of concerns. I know on some on his delivery coming out of high school, and, and I still see those. Those are still there, but uh, he misses a ton of bats, and he was able to repeat his mechanics to throw strikes at least in the Arizona League. So. Uh, I thought, you know, especially for a second-round pick, that was a great draft pick by the Rangers. I think he's going to be a top 100 guy for us uh, very, very soon. So, you know, in this kind of system where it's not as strong as it typically is, to have somebody who's a, a potential frontline starter, even with the risk that, you know, that comes with pitching prospects, especially rookie ball pitching prospects, to me the most exciting player of that group, the guy I would take, would be Kraus, even with you know more risk than somebody like Johander Mendez or uh, a Ronald Guzman or even like a Kyle Cody who's, who's a little bit higher up in the system. Uh, just the upside is, is so high on Kraus. There really was a lot of excitement on him, especially after he signed with the Rangers and went out in pro ball and dominated the way that uh, that he did. You know, Kraus is an interesting guy. I actually remembered seeing him when he was a sophomore at the Area Code Games, uh, my old job, and jumped out at you right away. He didn't realize that this kid was a sophomore with how big he was, how hard he threw. He was up to 97 when he was 15. And seeing him just develop, 
there's no question the stuff is absolutely electric. I think with him, the two questions that always came up leading up to draft time were, one, there were some concerns about makeup in the context of his decision-making away from the field, and also just his delivery. It's very high effort, some concern about potential injuries down the road. What did you hear about those two things in terms of just him as a person, his decision-making away from the field, as well as his delivery and injury risk in general? The, I mean, the makeup stuff, um, certainly at least like on the field, you can be eccentric. <laughs> um, that can, but it didn't sound like there was any of that in pro ball and, and just in general. I know a lot of, some people, especially in the game, put a lot of weight on it. I, I put almost none on it. I think what really matters is your talent level on the field. That's what separates uh, that's what separates players. That's really what takes players to the major leagues and, and defines how good you are. So that really wasn't a, a focal point for me in, in any way. And the mechanics, yeah, I mean, is it, there's there's effort in his delivery, and that definitely is a risk. But at the same time, he is able to repeat his mechanics. And the in that that helps him throw strikes. He threw a lot of strikes this year. Um, I I think he's going to be able to do it next year. We'll see once he's you know facing better hitters and, and there's a, a larger sample size to to look at. But you know we've seen other guys, whether it's Max Scherzer or Chris Sale, uh, plenty of other guys who concerned on them at the time that they signed and the time that they were drafted was was their mechanics or, or was their arm action and they've gone on to not just be starters but durable number one stars. I'm not saying Hans Kraus is, is in that category and I'm not saying that uh, mechanics and, and delivery arm action is not legitimate risk factor. I think that is a legitimate risk uh, with him but the the overall upside that he has, uh, there's no question about the stuff, and I think he's going to throw strikes. So uh, it is definitely something to to monitor and to keep in mind. But uh, there's there's just there were too many things for me to be excited about with Hans Kraus, and uh, again with the kind of the lack of talent beyond those top two guys in the farm system. To me, it wasn't too difficult of a of a choice for uh, for me to put to put Hans Kraus number three in this list. Yeah, you mentioned that. And really beyond those two, and then you get to Cole Reagans, who, who uh, has a solid you know, above-average grade above him as well. Beyond that, it really is a lot of second-division starter, maybe if everything clicks, first-division starter, but very high risk. So, uh, you know, it's obviously not the deepest system. One guy that did kind of shoot up this year, and, and given he, I don't know if he projects as more than a number four starter, but a guy who had a big year and you wrote about him and ranked him fairly high uh, was Kyle Cody. This was a kid from Kentucky, sixth rounder. You know, he, he when I saw him earlier this year, I remember I was at a game where he threw nothing but fastballs for the first four innings. It was something like 55 straight fastballs. And you could tell he was working on his command. And it was sometimes there, sometimes not. But throughout the year, you saw it sharpen and get better and get better. Then he got up to uh, down east in the Carolina League and was even better. What, for you, made Kyle Cody the fastest riser in this entire system? Yeah, well, what you said is, is a great point 
and it's something that I think if you're just looking at like the the stats on him, and look, the stats were good at uh, throughout the year for Kyle Cody, so it, it, everything I think looks pretty good. But um, you don't like you said, you were there, you saw him throw. What did you say, like fifty something? It was something ball. insane. I was laughing. I was like, I've never seen anything like this in a high school game, yeah. college game, minor league game. I never seen anything like it. A guy threw that many straight fastballs. So that's because the Rangers kind of like they, they did the same thing with Yolanda Mendez's changeup where they like took that away from him for a while because uh, they wanted him to focus on fastball command. And the Rangers, especially this year, really wanted to emphasize fastball command, which I mean, every organization does. Like, no organization is like, yeah, we don't really care how you command your fastball. Like, no, like that's, yeah. that's you know, it's kind of a pretty central tenet of pitching, even if you're. You know, you know, some organizations differ on how much they want you to pitch off your fastball, but still need to be able to spot your fastball and know where it's going. Like that's that's pretty important for every organization. But the Rangers, that really was a big focal point of emphasis to the point of they said to Kyle Cody, um, you know, you have to pitch the first time through the order early in the season, the first time you go through the order, just fastballs. Because we want you to, we want you to improve your fastball command and just get a, a better understanding of uh, how to attack hitters with you know just your fastball. So you know uh, when you're only throwing fastball. I mean, if you notice it in the stands, I would think. I mean, you're a pretty smart guy, but like at the same time, I, I think the hitters can probably also figure out like, hey, wait a second, <laughs> you guys only throwing fastballs right now. Uh, so it, that becomes difficult to, to get hitters out. And he still had a lot of success. Obviously, he was only in the, the South Atlantic League as a, a college guy. But once he, you know, once they took those restrictions off the second half of the season, the the numbers were totally lights out. And, and he has a good slider. So the Rangers did not have a ton of you know great development stories. I think this year in the the minor leagues, it's fair to say. Uh, but Kyle Cody was definitely one of them. I, I think he. He took a pretty big step forward this year. Again, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's a frontline starter, but uh, a guy who can throw strikes, has a plus fastball, has a plus slider. Uh, you want to see him hopefully develop that changeup. That's still a, you know, 40, 45-ish kind of pitch for him. But uh, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons to think that he can be a, a, a part of their big league rotation at some point. Uh, within the next couple of years. You know, beyond Kyle Cody, there's an re- interesting group of three teenagers, all, you know, won't be 20 until uh, middle of this year. Miguel Aparicio, Bubba Thompson, and Chris Sice. Now, Thompson and Sice were two first-round picks this year. Miguel Aparicio was a fairly well, uh, well-regarded well signing out of Venezuela a couple of years ago. 8, 9, and 10... What was it about you? You had Miguel Aparicio ranked higher than both of them, but when you broke down these three, how did you ultimately decide to stack them up as you did in terms of going Aparicio, then Thompson, then Sice? Yeah, I think you could go, you could justifiably go a bunch of different ways on all those guys. To me, Thompson and, and Sice were, I think they're the most raw, especially in terms of the bat. They have the most risk. In terms of their their hitting ability, I mean Thompson is you know he's 19 years old last year. I think there's there's a lot of swing and miss risk with him. Uh, you 
and the same with with Sice. There's uh, some contact issues there. Now they're both good athletes, premium position. Uh, there, there's a lot of other tools that they bring to the table, but uh, Aparicio, I, I had the most confidence in his bat, and, and his tools are are not as loud as those other guys. It's they're the rest of the tools are average to you know a tick below average across the board but he also has very good instincts typically for a center fielder I, I want to see a guy who has at least 55 uh, speed you know really we're better have you know 60 to 70 speed Aparicio doesn't run that well but he has such a quick is a quick first step he gets such good reads off the bat his instincts are so good that he does get good reviews on his defense. Uh, he puts the bat to the ball very consistently. He's just a very smart, high baseball IQ type player. A guy who's been playing a lot of baseball his whole life. So I think that, that helps him a lot. The swing works. It's, it's short. It's, it's direct to the ball. Uh, a lot of line drives. I don't think he's going to be hitting for a lot of power, but I think he's going to He's got a chance to to stick in center field, and with the bat, to me, that was a separator for me in terms of putting him over those other two guys who I think have have more swing and miss risk uh, as as uh, as hitters. Absolutely, you know, we've talked again. This isn't a great system; it's not a particularly deep system. But there's always guys, you know, down the lower levels where there's there's something to like, and with a jump, there's potential for them to to move up uh, considerably in their rankings. Who's a guy here that you see, you know, maybe it's in the 15 range, maybe it's in the 20, 25 range that you think has a chance to really jump and do something, uh, make a move, if you will? Uh, you know, Joe Palumbo, who, I mean, if he hadn't gotten hurt, you know, he might have been number three on this list. Uh, for the way he looked early in the season, he was he was just dominating. Um, lefty. You know, low to mid 90s fastball, and he was missing bats with the curveball too. Um, he he was off to a really good start, just building on what he had done in 2016. He looked like he was a guy who could move pretty quickly for them, but he had Tommy John surgery, uh, basically wiped out his whole year after those first few starts. So, uh, I think if if the stuff comes back, returns to the level it was before. Uh, he's a guy who, who I think should be in their top ten uh, next year. Uh, well, I, sh- I say should. It, it kind of depends on what route they go in terms of, of rebuilding and, and trading for other players and, and what other moves they make. But uh, he's a guy definitely to, to watch this year. The guy I liked in that system was Tyreek Reed. I thought that was a really nice pick for them. In the eighth round, out of a you know a, a Mississippi junior college, um, you know it, those are the kind of the guys where I think they're just under scouted. Where you know you, you have a you're not going to find a lot of uh, you know real tooled up middle of the diamond guys who are going to be good values for you in like the eighth round of the draft because teams are going to see those guys and they're not going to miss on them. But uh, Reed is a, a first baseman. You know, a right-handed hitting first baseman who's 260 pounds. Uh, those guys tend to slide in the draft unless you're at a, you know, let's say like a Division One program and you uh, have a pretty good track record of, of dominating top 
college competition. But uh, obviously, Reed does not have that uh, track record. But when he got to the Arizona League, he looked really good. And the there's you know big power and a swing that should work. I think as he moves up to higher levels, sometimes you see guys with big power, but also kind of stiff swings or longer swings. And there's there's just with the way they hit, there's there are more questions about whether it's going to translate as you face better velocity and better off speed stuff, uh, guys who can locate better. But with Reed, I, I think the the swing should work. As it moves up, now we'll see. Again, he's, he's only been in the Arizona League. The, the numbers there were really good. But I, I think he he can cover the plate. I think he's got a pretty good hitting approach. And then he's got huge power. So he's a, he's a first baseman. He's going to have to hit a ton. But there's there's a lot there that I think is, is really intriguing, especially for, for where they got him in the draft last year. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the eighth round. There's actually a really interesting amount of eighth-round picks who have gone on to become stars in the big leagues. You know, you see, generally speaking, all most of your stars are in the first and second rounds, and it goes the way you think it should. Then the eighth round, there's this random group of guys, Paul Goldschmidt, Brian Dozier, Corey Dickerson, Cole Calhoun, Kyle Hendricks, Trey Mancini, Kendall Graveman, guys who are, you know, making impacts in the major leagues, and they're mostly all college guys. And I remember talking to uh, to one scout about this, and his explanation was, the cross the eighth round is when the area scouts start getting their guys that they love and they start banging the table for. Because, you know, the cross-checkers are seeing about 200, 225 kids that are at the top of everyone's board, and 200, 225, that's your seventh round. And by the time the eighth round comes around, it's, okay, who do your area scouts love? And so for the area scouts who put in the time with these guys and love these guys, and they say, I believe in this guy, and a lot, sometimes those guys are legit standouts who... In the case of some of these guys I named, either went to schools that were small, had a body type that didn't fit, and they've become standouts. And I think it's interesting you mentioned Tyreek Reed as a guy who, you know, fits that Mississippi Junior College, uh, another guy who did that. I mean, a very different type of player, but, you know, that's Corey Dickerson, Mississippi Junior College eighth rounder, and he's become an all-star. Now, obviously, there's a lot of guys who don't make it, but I've, I've learned to keep an eye on that eighth round because there's always some hidden gems in there. Yeah, Alan Craig, another guy who's an eighth-rounder. David Freeze was in the ninth round. I think what you said is right. The other element, too, is that I think that's where a lot of times the analytics picks come in, where you have these these top college performers where the you say, all right, well, we're, our, our scouts maybe have reservations about these guys when we're, we're looking at the top of the draft, uh, especially, again, these guys who have kind of profile questions and, and concerns. Uh, but man, they really hit, and our 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 numbers really the, the numbers really stick out. So all right, you know we're in the eighth round. All the all the guys who are you know super tooled up and fit maybe more of a, a traditional profile have already gone off the board at this point. All right, <laughs> these guys are still on the board. Let's let's take a chance on on one of these guys, and I think that also plays a role into it as well. Yeah, we'll see if Tyreek Reed can uh, become the latest. Well, Ben, uh, I think that'll about do it. Uh, any final thoughts on the Ranger system? No, I mean, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to see how this uh, system shapes up uh, and when, we're, when we're having this conversation at, at this time next year. I mean, I, 
Yeah, no. I don't. That, I, uh, I don't. I don't think this is a. I don't think this is a situation where you need to go like what the Braves were doing and tear everything down for uh, four or five years and and try to accumulate multiple, uh, you know, top five draft picks over the years. Um, especially if JJ's tank tech come through, but um, you know, I, I don't think they really need to go that drastic of a route. But there, there definitely needs to be some kind of a. Uh, I think a, a reset here to try to add some some talent back into the organization because I, I just don't see them contending this year. So I'm I'm curious to see what moves they make uh, to to kind of rebuild and reshape this farm system over the over the course of the next year. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, thank you to all of our followers for tuning in today. Today's podcast was once again sponsored by Baseballism. Visit baseballism.com for the best apparel in baseball and enter the code BA SHIP. That's BA SHIP to save 20%. For Ben Bowther, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.